Well, uh, excited to be with you and a chance to be in God's Word. If you wouldn't mind turning with me to the book of Ruth, we're in chapter 4 this morning and we're finishing up our series and actually uh, fitting that we're talking about the Redeemer of Boaz. And while you're turning there, I'm wondering if in the the room here, if there's anyone that would uh, confess to having made some really dumb investments in your past. Anybody have any uh, looking back and uh, thinking through some things that you're like, yeah, I wish I could play the rewind button. Uh, Well, not only have I made some poor decisions messing with wildlife, as we learned last week, I've also made some poor decisions with investments. In fact, a number of years back, it's quite a few now, uh, my wife and I actually uh, built two uh, investment properties in Florida, which uh, note to self, don't build in Florida. And so uh, our properties there uh, and, and building a property in Florida is much less of an accomplishment than building something here, just to give you perspective. Uh, and so building there, though, we, we learned this, that in one year, they went down in value 75%. Have you ever heard of such a thing? 75% in value in one year. The rental market, they went down approximately 60% in what you could get in rental income. And so uh, needless to say, left us with some uh, less than optimal options as far as renters. I remember one time in particular, I got a phone call from one of my renters. I may have shared this story before. Never forget the phone call. He called me up and he said, Scott, he was very polite about it. He said, Scott, Scott I needed to let you know that the police, they, they did raid your house. And uh, they did find guns, and so I won't be able to be your tenant any longer, but my mom can move in if you'd like. That's great. Have her move in. She was actually much more consistent with payments, so that worked out. But anyway, so that was a one fun phone call. Another one, we had one that uh, a gentleman that was living there that didn't pay for, I don't know, four or five months, and ended up having to have him evicted. And when upon eviction, he came to the conclusion that he should take every single thing in the house of value. So washers, dryers, refrigerators, even the copper from the air conditioner. Who does that? And uh, anything of value. And then here's the gift that he left me. In the middle of the living room floor, he left a don't forget to steal list. He had an itemized list of all the things he wanted to not forget to steal from our place. And he left it there like a checklist, you know, like you have going into your workday. So th- those were some of the, the fun things that uh, we learned about renting and owning in Florida. So if maybe you can learn from that. But the reason I bring that up, there is a, a point to this, is our message is called a wise investment. And there's some people that are more like me that do the dumb stuff like that. Then there's some people that just get it. Some people that just nail it with investments. Don't you hate those people? Sorry, no offense. That just, they just nail it. Everything they touch turns to gold. They just, and when you look back and you reflect, you're like, wow, they did that really well. They navigated that really well. Wow, they actually made money during the, the collapse of the market. Oh, wait a second. And there's something that you can learn from people that wise, uh, make wise choices with investments. Well, Boaz is that guy. Boaz is that guy. He's the guy that everything he touches goes to gold. And I would propose this morning that there's a ton that we can glean from his life, not just as far as it goes to business principles, for sure some in this, but more on just navigating life. Because it's a challenge, is it not? Trying to navigate living in a broken, fallen world that you're called to redeem, and yet you're supposed to do that with dignity and integrity. Well, he does well with all of that. I think there's a lot we can glean from his story this morning. Let me pray before we dive in. 
Lord Jesus, thanks for this chance to be together in your house. We ask that you'd meet us now in this place of study, that we'd be free of distraction, that you'd speak to us specifically, that we'd be able to really engage in this time here. And there There might be a nugget of something that we need to walk away with this morning, and you'd make that crystal clear in our minds. We pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. So chapter four, want to give a, a little bit of a, uh, just a brief recap of where we've been for the, maybe some of you that haven't been a part of this story so far. Basically, our story has three main characters. You have Naomi, you have Ruth, and you have Boaz. Naomi and Ruth is mother and daughter-in-law that have both recently lost their husbands. So in that uh, desperate place that they find themselves in a living in a foreign land, they make the choice to come back and live in Bethlehem. Well, Bethlehem is where Naomi is from, but Ruth, this is new territory. She's a Moabite, which was kind of a despised enemy of Israel. So this is definitely stretching her to come into this new territory. Are you following me? So they're moving back in. They, Upon arrival, uh, Ruth takes some initiative and starts collecting some leftover uh, uh, grain from the harvest in one of the surrounding fields and meets and comes across a gentleman by the name of Boaz. There's a little uh, chemistry between the two, some farmer flirting that goes down, and uh, some exchange where Boaz is very uh, kind to Ruth. You remember that if you've already uh, been in this story. Well, she goes back, and Naomi, in her wisdom, says, well, you got to make it crystal clear to Boaz that you're interested, because Boaz turns out being a relative. Well, a relative has permission that day and age, this is kind of different than ours, is actually has permission to marry a relative who has recently lost their husband, and it's not considered a bad thing in that time to have two wives. I know it's kind of weird now, but to redeem the situation, you would buy their land, their property, and redeem that so that the family line could continue. Well, here's the thing. Naomi sends Ruth into Boaz and says, you need to be crystal clear that you're interested. Does something kind of unique. I'm surprised Joe didn't make a bigger deal about it last week. Ends up cuddling down by Boaz's feet. Did you guys notice that in the text last week? The guy wakes up to this woman sleeping at her feet. I don't know if it was a tradition or what, but kind of odd, kind of creepy, we might think today. I, I heard a comedian recently say he likes to go up to somebody do a little sniff next to him and be like, man, you smell a lot different than you do when you're, or you smell a lot different when you're awake. And, uh, and so this was basically the, the idea here is she's showing up when he's sound asleep, wakes up. She expresses her interest in him being the one that redeems her and their land. Are you following me still? Okay, but here's the problem. There's another relative that, that's uh, closer relatives that has a choice first as to whether or not he wants to marry her. So Boaz is like, I don't know. There's this other guy. We'll have to check in with him first. That's where our story begins with checking with the other relative. Verse one, chapter four. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate, sat down there, and behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. That's the closer relative. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. That would have been Naomi's husband. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. 
But if you will not, tell me, that I may know, for there is no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. We'll stop there and kind of uh, talk through that for a moment. Boaz is showing up here at the city gate. Basically, that would have been like a, a town center, if you will, where a lot of business would have been, tra- transactions would have gone down. So he's showing up in the hopes of crossing paths with this relative and seeing if he's interested in buying the land. He does happen to cross paths with them. And it's interesting that you see how Boaz is interacting with them. He chooses, instead of just having a conversation off to the sides, what, what do you notice that he does? He gathers a group of the elders or leaders from the city as witnesses. He says, this isn't going to be some kind of a under the table kind of dealing. We're going to make sure that everything is crystal clear, above board. And I think the first observation is we're trying to apply some of this is take some of the practical things is making sure that we take from this to be shrewd in our dealings being wise in the way that you interact and you actually come to conclusions, nothing under the table. I love it. the description Jesus gives in Matthew 10, 16 when he's talking to his followers. He says, he says look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Maybe heard that before, and I like the definition of the word shrewd that he's inviting us to. Shrewd means having or showing sharp powers of judgment. Having sharp powers of judgment. I would propose if there's something that we could gleam here this morning from this text, having sharp powers of judgment would be something that I think a lot of Christians could grow in. A lot of Christians could benefit from that being wise in the way that they deal with a world that isn't necessarily following the same God that they are. I jotted down just a a couple practicals that we even see here in the text. The first one is this, is to choose partners wisely. Choose partners wisely, making sure that we're wise in who we're partnering up with. And that's uh, maybe you can use that in the context of marriage, but I'm using this more in the context of who we work with. A lot of times we uh, fall or run into conflict or issue because we didn't really think through who you're pairing up with or partnering out there in the world. This goes for two sides of that, whether you're somebody in a, that's in a position of hiring, you need to be wise in who you're partnering with. Or if you're being employed, you need to be wise in who you're working under. This is just a practical little tip as far as being shrewd in our interactions. The second one is this, that we see it right there in the text, is use contracts. Use contracts. You're like, how does that relate? Look look what he's doing there. He's getting a a, a legal gathering, a group, and he's making sure that it's crystal clear, spelling out the details of what's going on. I think so many Christ followers could learn from this. A lot of times we think, oh, just a a, good as our word, right? Just a hearty handshake. Well, how many have been burned by that before, right? Remember not that long ago having uh, Jamba Juice talking with a guy, actually a friend that goes here at the church, and he was just telling me the story. It was kind of heartbreaking. He was talking about an arrangement that he had with his parents, a living arrangement, where they had money, both of them kind of tied up in a, in a purchase, and, and, uh, and it, everything went south with it. And it came out that as his parents got older, they started getting a little bit more anxious about resources and conveniently forgot about the details of their agreement together. And my friend ended up literally losing basically all of his savings because what? They didn't spell out the details, family, church, the body of Christ, we can learn from Boaz in this, making sure we're cl- crystal clear in contracts. 
trying to make this as practical as possible. Then this third one is maybe a Sunday school answer, but I think nonetheless important. Be honest. You're like, oh, thanks, Scott. That was a really uh, good one to come up with there. But think about this. I wouldn't have to say it if we did better with this. If we were better with this in the way that we interact in the world around us, be above reproach. What is snuck into our world and into the church is this idea of situational ethics. You've maybe heard that, that term before. You kind of adjust based on what you think is the potential risk of outcome. You start to say, oh, but if I did that, if I was fully honest and transparent, I might lose my job. Oh, wait, if I did the, the right thing there, my company might lose millions of dollars. Here's the thing. Do the right thing. Let God determine the outcomes. Do the right thing. Let God determine the outcomes. God's in control of the outcomes. He can take something that seemed like it was beyond hope or beyond rescue, right? And take it and redeem it. That's the whole theme of this book. So there's my practical couple thoughts for you as it relates to being shrewd in our dealings. Jumping back to the story, this, uh, this idea here. So he presents the possibility of buying this land, most likely at a discounted rate. And what do we say the decision of the relative is? And he said, I will redeem it. So this is a little bit of a, a bummer for Boaz, but it was like, I'm sure there's a gulp, like, oh shoot, he's going to buy the land. There, go, there goes my chance uh, for this farmer fling to continue. And so here's a choice that he makes, verse 5, then Boaz starts kind of putting on display his shrewd negotiating skills. See if you see it in the text. Then Boaz said, verse 5, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. All right, we'll stop there, a little explanation. Notice the tactic in this arrangement. He's presenting the option. He's like, oh yeah, did I mention? Just thought you should know that if you buy the land, you also marry Ruth the Moabite. Did I mention she's a Moabite? Moabite. You know, you know the Moabites. I know you've never met her, but she comes from an incestuous family line where they worship a pagan demon god where they sacrifice their babies. You're going to love her. She's great. She's great. And also part of the package deal, in case you're not clear on this, you also get her mother-in-law, Naomi. Well, actually, her name is not Naomi. She recently changed her name to the name Bitter. So yeah, you get her too. She's a part of the package. You get to take care of them for the rest of their lives. And any inheritance that you have will actually be divided amongst them and any new offspring you have with Ruth. Now, do you see the package? All of a sudden, it's not looking quite so attractive anymore. All of a sudden, the, 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 the potential relative's like, ah, I don't know about that. You notice the change in his tune. He's like, uh... I can't redeem it for myself. Oh, really? Why not? Why do you think so? And he says it because it will impair my own inheritance. Impair my own inheritance. 
You see, I titled this section, People Over Plan. You see, what's happening here is that he's saying, I've got this plan of how this is my life supposed to play out. I've got a, a, a wife and kids and an inheritance. And can you imagine having to go back and explain to your wife, I bought some land and a new wife. But uh, this, this, idea, uh, this idea here, he's like, that's going to throw things off. The potential uh, offspring of the union between them it would divide the inheritance. He's like, man, that's not in the schedule at all. So instead of caring and cons- being concerned about his relatives and his obligation there, he's saying, I don't want to jeopardize the plan. I don't want to jeopardize what I have mapped out here. And you think about how to apply this presently. Isn't that still the tension that we feel so consistently? Which do you elevate, people or plan? People or plan? A lot of times they're in contradiction, right? You heard me mention a couple of weeks ago, so often people have a choice. Either they love, love money and use people, or they love people and use money to bless people. You see, there's a difference between the two. In this case, the protection was on his inheritance, on his inheritance. You think about this for a moment. I hadn't mentioned it already, but in the text, what was, his, uh, relative, what was this relative's name? Look down. Do you guys see it? What was his, what was his name? Did you guys catch that? No, no there, there's, no, there's no name mentioned. There's no, no name mentioned of this relative. Elimelech was her husband that died. That's not, that's not who he's talking about. This relative, his, name, his name's not mentioned at all. In fact, it's a, the author is being very intentionally awkward here. He's, he's referred to him as, hey, friend, Hey, hey, buddy. It's kind of like, you know, when you see somebody, and you don't know their name and you're like, hey there, guy. Good to see you. You know, like that's, uh, that's basically what's happening. He's, he's, he's concerned about what? He's concerned about his family name, about his inheritance. And guess who we're not talking about any longer? We're talking about Boaz, who elevated people over the plan. We're no longer mentioning this guy's name. We don't even know it to talk about it. So often the options that we have in our life to elevate plan over person, man, it's a moment-by-moment decision if you think about it throughout your day. Which am I going to hold in higher regard? Remember a specific instance I've mentioned it, uh, I think, another time here. A couple years ago when Adrian and I were moving into our home in Thousand Oaks, we had to uh, figure out furnishings. And man, uh, that stuff adds up. If you go into, into a new house, that stuff adds up quick. So we're working the Craigslist angle hard. And then somebody introduced me to Facebook Marketplace. Do you guys know what that is? On Facebook, the nice thing about Facebook Marketplace is you can actually see the person first. So you're not showing up and you're like, who am I meeting? And so I remember we found this couch and usually my rule of thumb was this. Don't buy anything fabric or material used because you never know who's been on it and done what, right? So it's a good principle. But anyone have a a policy that you've established and then you break it? Yeah, so I did that. And so I see this couch and it's so much cheaper than buying a new one. I see it online. I show up and the guy in the description, he said, I mean, it was a name brand couch. He's like, you know, it's been barely been sat on and it's in a front room. It's barely used. I'm like, perfect. I'm going to go out. This is a couch and uh, it's for a part of our house that only the kids would be sitting. So anyways, all right. And so, uh, so, I, uh, so I show up in the house. I show up at this apartment and uh, uh, ring, the, ring the doorbell. The guy answers. And soon as he opens the door, there's just this waft of stench, kind of a combination of cat pee slash smoke slash death 
slash like, and here, here's the truth. Here, here's the, the truth. The guy, he's like, yeah, it was my dad's couch. He just died last week. I'm like, oh, did he die on the couch? I didn't ask it. So that, then my mind, and you, have, you know how you have this internal conversations going on? My mind starts going and playing through kind of what's my exit strategy? I didn't even need to see the couch. Like there was, like I, there was no part of this couch I wanted anything to do with. And I, I kept getting this nudge where, the God, where God was just like, no, you need to get the couch. You need to go through the couch, get the couch. I'm like, oh man, God, I don't want the couch. And so I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, walk, I'm walking into, the, in, into this place and it's, I, I see the couch. It actually looked all right, but it's just like, man, it was like a home for cats. And like the, 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 the dad couldn't get onto it. It wasn't sat on much because he's in a wheelchair. And like, oh, it's just a, it was intense. And here's the thing. So remember I mentioned about Facebook where they can, you can see the person before him? The gentleman had also looked myself up. And he's like, you know, I'll tell you, he's like, I've been in such a depression for the last week. And then I saw on here that a pastor was coming to my home. Maybe God hasn't forgotten about me. <sighs> I'm like, there, there's no way out now. <laughs> There's no way out. And I'm like, it's a beautiful couch, man. It's nice. It ended up being like the next 45 minutes. Here's the God part of the story. The next 45 minutes, got to share Christ with them, got to walk through the gospel, got to pray with them before I left. And I took home a really stinky couch, really stinky couch. You can sit in it. It's in Chris Kerner's office whenever you like. <laughs> uh, true story. Uh, so, so anyway... Here's the, the point of that, and there is maybe some kind of a point there, is the idea of every day you might have, not have a stinky couch opportunity, but every day lends those crossroads, or which do you elevate, the person or the plan, the person or the bank account, the person or the, your schedule, the person or your timing, which one do you elevate here? In this case, the relative that we don't know his name chose to elevate the plan over the person. It says that the transaction was sealed. It was kind of a way that they would seal a transaction. What does it say that he did? Actually took the sandal off and handed it to him. That's kind of gross too. But uh, th think about, the, I was looking up a little bit of the background on this is the way that they were to say or to visually demonstrate that I'm giving up the right to tread on that land. I can no longer go on that land. I'm giving over any blessings attached to that land and there would be a handing of the sandal. But then I was digging a little bit deeper. I thought this was interesting. Is here's what actually the way it, it started that tradition. In Deuteronomy, it was explained that if that happened, where a, a relative in Deuteronomy 25.9, you can look it up for yourself later, Deuteronomy 25.9, if the guy that had potential of redeeming the widow would actually, wouldn't fulfill his responsibility with that if he said, you know, I'm not interested, just like we're seeing there. The actually widow was supposed to or had the right to go and she takes off the sandal of the man and then spits in his face. So what he's doing here is he's doing a little preemptive. Let me get my sandal for you and, uh, and, and not giving the opportunity for that. And so here he's neglecting that. He's elevating the plan over people. Let's not be that guy. Continue in verse, uh, continuing the next section, verse uh, nine. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, he said, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech. That's her husband that passed away. 
and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Those are the sons that passed away. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. We'll stop there. Basically, this is a picture of Boaz saying, I'm going to move forward with this transaction. I'm going to take some, and this is something that's unique about somebody that's able to navigate deals, is they're able to see something that's of value that everyone else has missed. You know what I'm saying? They're able to see something. They're saying, oh, you saw that as a chore, as an obstacle, as a poor financial decision, but I see her as a cherished bride, someone that should be given everything for. That's something to be painted, a picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us that we see still today. He sees through that, and you see he responds in boldness, says, I'm on this day. He's confirming with all the witness, I'm going to act on this. I'm going to fulfill all of her expectations and the fact of continuing the family name. And verse 11, I love this. This is kind of like a Hallmark movie. He says, Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman. They go into this blessing. Basically, it's like one of those scenes in a movie where you see the whole crowd gathered and they all talk in unison. Maybe they sung this. I don't know. But it's like a bad B-level Hallmark movie where they're like, you know what? We support this because why? Everybody loves a good love story, right? Everybody loves a good love story. They're like, yes, and we're going to pray a blessing. He announces his plan. This is what I'm going to do. And I love the people come behind and they're saying, well, we're going to pray that you're blessed in this, that you're going to be known. It says that you're going to be renowned in Bethlehem, that you're going to have offspring, that you're going to have children, that you're going to be, that this plan that you have, that God's going to do something beautiful with it. Comparison to some different relatives all the way back, uh, all the way back uh, to the, the story of, uh, what was it? Rachel and Leah and pointing back to the, how they had started in uh, the nation of Israel. So actually just praying for them to have offspring and to be blessed. It's thinking about that, how important it is to, one, not just use God and uh, go with him in the process of making plans, but also then once you've come up with a plan, to make sure that you bathe that plan in prayer as well. So often we give counsel and direction. You're like, hey, make sure when you're coming up with your plan that you seek God first, right? You hear, hear that all the time. But what about on the other side of the plan? A lot of times we pray on the front end, but once the plan is established, then what about on the other side of that? It's kind of interesting in our own life. Adrian and I, we have uh, some good friends from Chicago. Their name's uh, Ronnie and Christy. 
and they had visited a number of years back out here in California, and they were just having conversations about them, and they were just saying how they just really felt a, a tug and kind of a, a prodding to end up coming out here to, to California and saying, that, oh, man, they'd love to be a part of the, the church here and the, the ministry. And it was interesting talking with them. I said, well, man, uh, don't just do it based on the weather. Why don't you go home and really seek God on this, this idea and see what God does with it? Well, they went home, and both of them spent time praying over it, and they both sensed, man, we, we feel called. We feel a clarity that that's what we're supposed to uh, do. That's where we're supposed to be. And then I was like, well, then there's one other thing that we need to also pray for God to provide a job. You know, that's kind of the, uh, a key thing for living in California, I've heard. And, uh, and so it's kind, kind of a, a fun process just uh, praying with them through that. It's interesting, though, because it was the next three-year process. Anybody ever come up with a plan and then God has a different uh, kind of plan as far as the timeline, right? Next three-year process. And I remember he was sharing with me, he's like, you know, God did a lot of work on me in that, that whole t- that time period where I actually had to get just kind of content with where I was. I kind of got to a place where I'm like, all right, God, I'm just turning it over to you. I felt called to do this, but whatever you do in this, so fun about a month ago, and uh, I'm going to make uh, Marty embarrassed here. Marty's the director of the Salvation Army Camp, and I uh, bugged him. I was, I, I, I was uh, shameless, kind of. I'm like, listen, I've got a friend you need to hire, and, uh, and I'm going to make you feel really uncomfortable right now because I'm going to keep bugging you about it. So Marty ended up hiring him. He started there this last week, and it was so fun to see how God kind of orchestrated something that was bathed in prayer and said, you know what? I'm going to use that. I'm going to bless that. And that's the cool thing in this story. Every single prayer that was prayed in the book of Ruth, you can do this study yourself, every single prayer that was prayed in the book of Ruth was answered. God answered all of the prayers. We're about to see it even there in the last section, even with the provision of kids. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, "'Blessed be the Lord.'" has not left you this day without a redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. We see that again. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for the daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Then these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. So here's the way that this plays itself out. Boaz followed through on his plan. He, 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 He decides to marry her, and it says in the text that he went into her. I want to explain to you that in the original Greek, what that means. No, I'm just kidding. Hopefully you can piece that together. (laughs) But we get the idea. We get the idea here for single people. This is the way God's plan works, his design. Covenant, consummation, conception. Here, that's how it's supposed to work. Starts with a covenant, a marriage covenant. We see it modeled here. And then you consummate the marriage. Sometimes we get that little confused single people. Here's a reminder there. Then conception, God chooses in his kindness to what? Bless them with a baby. Bless them with a baby. Now we know this about Naomi, that she was already married. We don't know how long, maybe even as long as 10 years based on chapter one. We don't know for sure, but either way, she didn't have a child in the first round. In this scenario, God's like, you know what? I'm gonna bless you 
with a child. Sometimes I think our culture and our world needs to be reminded that children are a blessing from God. Amen? Children are a blessing from God. Somehow we've lost that along the way. Starts by, in response to that, I love, because Naomi, she's got like this good group of friends. She's got a good group of friends. What do they do? So they're like early responders. They see God at work and they're ready to give him appropriate glory. They said, blessed be the Lord. When we're responding to prayer, that should be our first thing. When God answers, man, thank you, God, for doing this. Thank you, seeing him as the source. That's the fun thing about the partnership between prayer and praising God. You see, when we've actually prayed specifically for something, and then when that something happens, we know who to give credit to. I'll give you an illustration. Now, imagine if Connor Rockstead, here's Connor right here in this white hoodie. If Connor started talking to me every day about how much he loves Snicker bars, how he just craves them, you know, that nut and nugget center, like, oh man, I don't know if it's nugget, whatever. Uh, you get the idea. He's like, man, I just have such a craving for one of those. Day after day, I'm like, all right, Connor, tone it down. You know, keeps bringing it up. I see Connor again. Scott, have I mentioned how much I like Snickers? Yes, yes, you have, in fact. And, uh, and, and the next time I see him, hey, Pastor Scott, I know it's kind of awkward to bring this up again, but man, I sure like a Snickers. Uh, not the one that's been smushed in your pocket, but I like Snickers. And, uh, and he keeps bringing it up, bringing it up. And then one day, he gets home and sitting right next to or right on his table, there's a Snickers bar. He's like, man, I haven't told anyone about that except for Pastor Scott. Who do you think is going to get credit for it? Me. That's right, because he's going to be like, the only one I've bugged about it is Scott. And so he must have been kind to give me a Snickers bar. That's the, the idea here. Uh, it's a little warm. Uh, but uh, but here, here's the idea. The, the, the Snickers bar, the, 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 you, you give credit to the one that you've bugged about it, right? So for us in our prayer life, one of the things that he has established is that bring your request to me. Bring your request to me. And then when he answers it, we know who to give credit to rather than just thinking that it's happenstance. And otherwise, we're tempted to think, oh, who would have guessed? That was just circumstances. And God's like, yeah, anything good that happens in your life, that's from me. I'm the giver of all good gifts. And so there's the partnership between prayer and praise. That's what we see here in the text. And so they bless the Lord appropriately, point to him as being the one that gave and provided the Redeemer, that it was his fingerprints. And then they turn the switch and they take a, a few opportunities also, and this is something that we can glean from as well, not just, to, not just to praise the Lord, but also to honor people. If you're trying to think through how to navigate this life, man, if you just got those two principles down, that would serve you well. If you did a good job of appropriately praising God for the blessings in your life, that's a great starting point. And then if you wanted to take it the next step further and start honoring people around you that have been a blessing in your life, I'll tell you the hugest compliment you can give somebody is say, man, I sure see the Holy Spirit at work in your life. I sure see God working and using you in awesome ways. Man, what a compliment to give somebody. It goes a long way. They basically compliment and honor the three main characters. Naomi, they celebrate her as a son has been, given, uh, has been born to Naomi. Ruth must have been like, uh, this is my son, not Naomi's. But either way, they're this idea of celebrating the whole idea of being a grandparent. 
Anybody in here in the grandparent stage? That's such a fun period because what? You get to enjoy the grandkids and then give them back, you know, like that's the, that's the benefit. So they're celebrating her as a grandma that God's been faithful. And I don't know if you noticed this in the section. Now she had some good friends, but how many of you young moms, when you're choosing a name for your new baby said, huh, wonder what grandma's friends think. <laughs> Says in the text that grandma's friends named the baby Obed. Now, Obed, I'm not too sure as if that's a, a name I would have gone with, but when you actually look at the meaning of it, the meaning means worshiper or servant of God. Worshiper or servant of God. So they're like, yeah, let's do that name. So Ruth and Boaz make that choice. Ruth is honored. I love the description there that she's better than seven sons. In that, that culture that was kind of all about the male son, she was saying, they're saying Ruth is better than seven sons. Seven was the number for perfection, saying she's just the, the perfect daughter-in-law. How awesome. Do you think that maybe stuck in her mind for years to come? It's funny how honoring does that, how honoring does that. I had a number of years back. Now I'm 45 years old, and when I was in college, my friend Joe that was up here last week, uh, I actually went to uh, Cedarville University. It was kind of fun. While I was studying, Joe wasn't at quite the place where he was quite ready to start his education. So, but he's like, man, but I don't want to miss the college experience. So he moved into the college town I lived in and then just hung out with us and did everything. <laughs> he even played in the intramural sports with me. So uh, like he, he did everything. He went to the chapel at our college. It was kind of funny. But anyway, uh, wh- while he was there, it was kind of cool. I, was, uh, I didn't make my basketball team, big shocker. Uh, but uh, I chose to play uh, in uh, intramurals there. But I was a fairly strong basketball player. Can I brag just for a moment? I had, I had a game in intramurals where I had 63 points. And so 63 points. And my friend Joe is just like, that has to be documented somewhere. So he went on his minimum wage. He found a little trophy shop in a surrounding town, went and made, had a little custom trophy made, 63 points. He made it to me. He's like, yeah, this, they, they might not have noticed, but I noticed. He hands me this. Guess, guess what? You go in my garage today, you'll still see that trophy sitting there. Every once in a while, I walk by it and kind of polish it up. Make sure that it's real clear that you can still see the numbers on it, you know. And, uh, and, and so it's funny, though, and here's the thing, the point that I'm trying to make with that is, man, our words have power in someone's life. You take a moment and honor somebody, celebrate them, make a big deal about them, man, that will set, it can even set the course, which is strange to think, the power of words, set the course and the direction for someone's life. Last person that celebrated there is Boaz. The prayer was, may his name be renowned in Israel. May his name be renowned in Israel. Now, when you read that last section, you're like, yeah, it looks, it's kind of a weird thing. It lists a lot of names. It's kind of like looking, reading through a phone book. But here's the, the, the interesting thing. What does it point to? His family line leads to David, whose family line leads to Jesus. So talk about a prayer being answered a prayer of blessing that his name would be held and honored. We're still talking about him a couple thousand years later. We're still celebrating him, even referring to him as a redeemer. How awesome is that? God took somebody that didn't have anything to to gain. He wasn't going to get anything financial back. He said, you know what? I'm going to elevate people over plan. I'm going to do that. And God has elevated him still today. We're talking about him, still a, a, a picture and pointing to Jesus Christ ultimately being in his family line. 
So I think there's a ton that we can grab from this, a lot of things that we can kind of implement in our own life. First one, we talked about the idea of being shrewd in our actions, making sure we're operating in wisdom and judgment, choosing partners wisely, using contracts, being honest. The people over plan thing, that's a that's a day-by-day opportunity, right? Something we could all grow in, people over plan. Bathing your plans in prayer, we can be more diligent with that. And then praising God and honoring people, all of those, I think, practical things that would can potentially uh, just redirect the course of how we operate, whether it's in the business world, whether it's in our family world. I think all of this has wisdom for us to apply to our lives. Amen? Let me pray as we wrap up. Lord Jesus, thank you for this chance to be together and to be in your word and for this beautiful little love story, a picture of redemption that's really a picture ultimately of you, taking something that seems beyond hope, beyond rescue, without any kind of a plan or a future, taking it, making the choice to spend everything to give a great price for redemption. God, I thank you that that's the gospel story, that you saw us, that the rest of the world would have said, no, thank you, but made the choice to come down, live the perfect life, die as a sacrifice for our sins, and then rise again, providing victory over death and a choice for each one of us as to what we're gonna do, whether we're gonna try to navigate things on our own or we're gonna lean into you as our forgiver and director and Lord. Pray for anyone in this room that's never made that decision, that this might even be the week that they make that, that they cross that, that bridge, that they finally humble themselves and acknowledge their need for a savior. Thank you, God, that we're racing upon this opportunity this next week to, to celebrate you and your resurrection, God. I pray that this would be a wonderful week as people build up towards that, even having time set aside to spend with you just uh, preparing their hearts. We thank you for all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, just a couple things just as we're leaving today. You know, the funny thing about Easter is people are way more prone to go to church. And so if you want to think through this week, who in your circle of influence you might extend an invite, we'd be grateful for that. We think it's an amazing opportunity for people to hear about the love and grace that Jesus Christ offers. Can you help me out with that this week? That would be fantastic. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.